0: And so because of the miracle of the gospel, uh, the good news that you have dealt with Jesus according to our sin, Father, and now by some miracle, uh, you treat us as if we lived his perfect life through faith. We can say when he returns, it is well with our soul. And so I pray that that future reality would anchor us in the present. I pray that we be a people, your people, secure in this life, no matter the waves and the twists and turns that this world brings, that we would be able to look to you and say, real time, that it is well with our soul. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the security that we have in your name. Thank you for your word that stands to, right now, to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And I pray that you'd help me now to serve your people of this church that I love. And I pray, God the Spirit, that you'd move in this place in such a way that we would leave here knowing we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, y'all can grab your Bibles. Um, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We we just finished up a study through the book of James after several weeks, and I pray you were encouraged. Um, I was telling the other pastors, I feel like it's I probably got more feedback on the book of James than any other book I've ever preached, and I think some of the reason is because uh, James and just the way that he deals with everything in his letter uh, just doesn't really hold back, man. I think it gives it's a very stark contrast to kind of the therapeutic way in which spiritual things can be can be dealt with, and even just the manner of teaching often that can be present in many many churches. That James uh, comes right at us to tell us that without without works, our faith is dead. And so, um, so we finished that book, and I hope you're encouraged and challenged by it, shaped by it. I'm. Trust and it will continue to do its work. And now we're in a season where we're going to take uh, take a few weeks, kind of to teach a little bit more topically. We're going to um, we're going to revisit our hospitality series here in a couple weeks. Um, for those of you who didn't know, we did a hospitality series right before COVID, like a week before COVID. So you can chuckle about that. Timing was impeccable. Like open lives, open doors. Don't open your door. Don't open your life at all. That was kind of how it felt. And so we're going to revisit that because it does reflect the heart of God and, and does tie in with us being on mission. Uh, before we jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's where we'll be this morning. Um, as I was just, I was listening to, as I was listening to Maria and, and, and Hannah particularly, I was thinking about the, even the the people in this church body, the life group, like the Matus life group. I was thinking about uh, Jen Ludeman. Jen, are you in here, sister? Raise your hand. I was thinking about Jen's impact as a soccer coach on campus at UNCW and Hannah's life and in the lives of other student-athletes, and it's a, it's a vivid picture for me as to, like, our purpose in life. You know, you're going to go through your week this week, and just like I will, you're going you're gonna to have moments, if not a significant amount of your week, you're going to forget who it is you're living for and why it is that you're here. And so Second Corinthians chapter 5 really roots us in many different ways on the fact that we have been, we have been sent into the world to represent Christ. And God puts us in places all over even this city, in different workplaces, and we recreate in different places, and we live in different neighborhoods, right? And he puts us there for a reason. The majority of y'all are in secular workplaces. And I was in the marketplace for about 15 years, and it's such a mission field. But that's our world. That's the world that we live in. We live as kingdom people. As we looked at in First Peter uh, many months ago, as we studied through that book, the main theme of that book is that, that we are like pilgrims. Like we are temporarily traveling through a land and a place that's not our home. And we're called to live as those who have been purchased by God and sent out into the world to make him known and to represent him. And so I pray that even through the testimonies of and Maria, that bear the marks of other believers just impacting them and loving them and pointing them to Jesus, that you'd be reminded of the fact that that's God's call on your life, and on my life. It's not left to the professionals. If you know Jesus, then your responsibility is to, to make him known. It's fundamental to your identity as a kingdom person. In Second Corinthians 5, there's a particular section that talks about how we've been given... Ministry and this book, uh, we actually studied through this book years ago. Second uh, Corinthians, if you've ever read through it, is uh, the, one of the major things that's happening. Just to kind of orient us a little bit, because we're just going to be dropping in. Um, in Second Corinthians, is, is Paul is having to defend his ministry against all these other kind of so-called apostles. He's having to defend his teaching, his life, his ministry. You see a little bit of that in chapter four. And one of the things that's common in the whole book is just this theme of suffering and challenge. And so in chapter 4, he talks about how we, we go about at times and we're perplexed and confused and we have difficulty and we carry about in our lives like the brand marks of the death of Jesus. But he says, so that the life of Jesus might be shown in us. And you might, you might feel very near to you the fact that we are like, the, the Bible likens us to kind of brittle clay jars. And if you're a Christian, you're, you're, you're a brittle clay jar that's been pieced back together and you hold within you unfathomable treasure and you're called to sprinkle it around wherever the Lord gives you opportunity and that treasure is really the the good news of Jesus Christ that he's lived the perfect life we could never live he died in our place and through his resurrection prove that he is who he said he was and we can have life in his name and I pray for you this morning that would be exactly where you find life So we face the pain and difficulty of this life, so his life can be seen through our life. That's the picture in the Bible. This momentary light affliction that we go through is producing for us something that we can't see yet, an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond all comparison. And that's one of our biggest challenges. When I mentioned that you're going to go through your, your week this week, just like I will, forgetting who you are and what you're here for, some of that is because we are wrapped up in things that we can see. Like we are surrounded by the temporary. Various things, some good, some bad, clamor for our attention. It's very difficult when we have tunnel vision for that which is temporary to see the things that are eternal. But one of the things you see in this section, I just got done preaching at a conference that we we're at for Crossway, looking at the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things the Lord's Prayer does is it orients you to the fact that it's God's kingdom, it's His will, it's His name that ultimately is to be lifted up. It's why we live. It's what we're for. That's why he saved us. Not just to enjoy our salvation, but to make the path of salvation known to anyone and everyone who would listen. Yet we lose sight of the urgency of that reality that we live in as believers. So in chapter 5, Paul helps us see how the temporary nature of our physical frame will one day be swallowed up by immortality. You see that also in 1 Corinthians 15. While in this earthly body, we long for the relief and freedom of our heavenly body. And go to verse 8 in chapter 5 if you're there. It says, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And there's this picture that this life will end. Like death in this world is undefeated, it's defeated in the next, but it's undefeated here. All of us will leave this life. Like we'll leave our earthly frame behind. It will decay and it will fail and ultimately this life we will leave behind. And so the question that I want at least in part addresses, what about the life to come? And Paul pushes the realities of heaven kind of back into time and space and basically in so many ways says this, the reality of what's coming ahead should affect how you live right now. It should affect your perspective right now. It should affect what you desire right now because one day your earthly body is going to give way to that which is permanent. He goes on to say in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we are at at home with the Lord in heaven or away in this life apart from him, our ambition is to please him. And our earthly life should be shaped by eternal realities. Like our present decisions should be fueled by our future destination. Maybe just contemplate for a minute. How often do you give thought to the life after this? If you're a Christian, how often do you think about heaven? Does it just seem to you, Does it just kind of aloof? Like an idea you picture yourself floating in a cloud somewhere and without purpose. Some of the greatest moments we have of worship. Maybe you even had that moment this morning, like just a, a sweet moment of realizing, yeah, God does change people's lives. Like he transfers people still, and it's such a miracle. And maybe you, as a result, you just worship God with great joy this morning. The, the, the greatest moments of praise in this life are just like a sprinkle of dust of what heaven will be like. Just a, just a, a minuscule whiff of heaven's reality. But everything good we see in the body of Christ and people coming together different nations and ethnicities and personalities and loving each other, that's a picture of heaven. Like We're a heavenly outpost, this thing called the church, the local church, Crossway Wilmington, and every gospel preaching church in this city and in the world. We're like little heavenly outposts reflecting heavenly realities here on earth. And that's the same thing that your life is to be. You're called to be a kingdom person, living out kingdom realities in this life. All of us, no matter where we are, are called to live that way. In verse 10, we see a particular way Paul says he kind of pushes future realities into the here and now. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This picture is the judgment seat it's one word, it's, it's Bema seat. And the Bema seat is the place of reward for believers. Just wrap your head around that. You're probably mindful just like I am of all the ways that you have failed. But this manifold miracle that is the Christian life, one of the things that's true is that you will stand before God one day. But you won't stand before him for the purpose of judgment. You'll stand before him for the purpose of reward. And there will be things that we've given our lives to here that will just burn away because we've invested our lives in things that don't matter. But the things that are eternal, we receive reward for from Jesus himself. And we don't have a category for that kind of experience, but that's what the Bible teaches. So are we laboring in this life for that moment where Jesus can look us as if in the eyes and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Does that motivate you today? Because it seems to be Paul's fuel for what comes after. For we must all appear before the beam of seed of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. First question, I'm going to ask you two questions this morning. What rules, what rules your life? What's your ambition? What's your aim in this life? As we go on in this text, in verse 9, we saw that word aim, which is ambition in some translations. Our ambition, our aim in life as the people of God is to please God, is to live for him. Increasingly so over time that every single corner of our lives, that's what we saw in the book of James, right? It's like God cares about every single part about me. And every single part of my life is affected by the reality of the risen Jesus. There's not just some part that that can remain dead when the risen Christ comes into your life. Everything is affected by his life. He wants to resurrect every part of you to walk in newness of life. Are there any parts of you that may be holding on to the skeletons of the old life? 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, and here it is, that you do so, so, please God more and more. Titus talks about being zealous for good works. As we had some time in Colorado, we gathered as a group of pastors for the network of churches that were part of the Crossway Network, and there was 140 leaders from all around the world there. And I was just thinking to myself this morning, just the ways in which you see this picture, like people's lives being ruled by a love for Jesus and a desire to make his name known. Some of you know Micah went. Micah came here as a single man before he got married and led our college ministry for a season, then went back to Mountain View. They kind of poached him, but we're over that. So, but he went back, has been leading the the student ministry for the last, I don't know, maybe five or so years. Uh, Micah's now married to Julie. They have one a uh, little boy named Jamie, and they're getting ready to go to Serbia to be a part of a church plant in Serbia. And you think about just the twists and turns in Micah's life. Like you wanted to be an inner city church planner, and now he's going to Serbia to be a part of a, a work in a very unreached area of the world. And you're like, what's, like, what's up with that? Like, what explains that? Uh, what explains it is that there's a, there's a man and a woman controlled by the love of Jesus, imperfectly, but submitted to his will for their life. We just want to make our lives count. We want to make an impact for the gospel. We want people to know about Jesus where he's currently not known. And so the example for them or the practical outworking of that is is to go to Albania. I think of our brothers and sisters in Nepal who are planting churches in Nepal. And I just, I think about the times where we get kind of frustrated because our TVs don't work these brothers and sisters are in like a 20 by 15 room clapping our hands is joyful in the Lord why because Jesus is still alive in Nepal just like he is here <laughs> but there's reason to sing like in the mountains in the remotest areas of the world because Jesus is alive and he's known by men and women in those corners of the world just like he is here and church family I think if we're honest with ourselves we are we have so much stuff at our hands begging for our attention, it is extremely hard for us to stay focused on our mission. And I'm with you in that struggle. There are ways in which, like, being in a a setting, in a context where even physical life is a struggle, makes you more urgent for the things of heaven and focuses your gaze on what you're to be about in your life. And how often are we distracted? Like, The rules of our life and the things that rule us become things that are at the very least secondary and a lot of times completely meaningless. Are we ruled by the love of Christ? Prisoners to heavenly purposes. Look in verse 14 with me. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are prisoners as God's people to heavenly purposes. The love of Christ controls us. The unimaginable love of Jesus for you should grip your heart. And the response is like, he died for me. I want to die for him. But die to what? Yourself. Myself. I want to die to the things of me, like the kingdom of me, and I want to live for for his kingdom. All of us need to reckon with that picture. Like, what am I doing in my life, with my time? Where's my ambition, and what does it say about where I'm investing and the things that hold me prisoner. Am I a prisoner to heavenly purposes or the things of this earth? Jesus says you need to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow after him. It's only those who lose their life who find it. But how busy we are trying to hold on to our life here. And in doing so, we lose the joy of truly living for him here. And my concern is that we also lose the impact that we could have to the many this moment, outside of these walls, right around us, those who are apart from Jesus and without hope this morning. But we need to be about our Father's business. But the picture of believers that we've been captivated by Jesus, we're controlled by his love, a love demonstrated, that even while we were still rebelling against his name, Jesus would die for us. A love so great that that we need power from God just to understand its depth and its height and its breadth and to, breadth and to understand it at all. You see that in Ephesians three, verse eighteen and nineteen. Maybe a question we need to reckon with is: Are we captivated by lesser loves? We saw that even in the book of James, like being a friend of the world. Like, do we love the things of the world? One of the things I pray the most for my girls, that they would love Jesus more than they love the things of the world. Do we love money? Do we love security? Do we love influence? Do I love applause and affirmation? Or is the love of Christ and the love for Christ what captivates me? What rules my life? What rules your life? And the end of this that I want to highlight is what role do I play? What role do you play? When we come to know Jesus, it changes our vision. We begin to see things differently. Let's look at verses 16 through 20. Paul says this From now on, as those who have become alive to the things of God, we have new life in Jesus. Verse 16 From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I couldn't shake this picture when I was studying this this morning, just looking over it. I want to take this down to like the granular floor level. If you're a Christian in this room, do you see the people around you the way that God sees them? Like one of the principal things that we see Jesus and his reaction to the world that wandered around as sheep without a shepherd was compassion. Compassion. Are you moved with compassion toward the people around you? Or are you indifferent to the fact that you're surrounded in your neighborhood by many people who don't know Jesus? If we believe the Bible, that means that they're, they're bound for a Christless eternity, apart from God, apart from his blessing and grace, and will be in hell forever. Like, am I moved with a sense of compassion toward the world around me, or am I indifferent because of my busyness? worse yet, maybe even my hatred toward the different versions of sin in the world that surround us. But maybe just pray that God would give us an increasing vision for the people around us. Do do we see the people around us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces as those who God has put us in their lives for a particular reason to make him known? New life gives us new vision. We no longer see the way we used to see, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. As we keep reading in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Celebrate the word anyone. Like new life is for anyone. Let me just repeat that. New life is available to anyone. Anyone. If you're in this room and you've never understood or experienced the new life that's found in Jesus Christ, be sure it can be for you. New life is offered to those who would trust in Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ. New life is for anyone. New life is in Christ. It's not found in self-help. As Marie reminded us, it's not found in getting your act together and cleaning your life up. That you don't clean your life up to come to God, but you come to God to to get clean. That was Maria's mini-sermon to us earlier, right? I would guess in a room this size, there's some of you who are paralyzed by that falsehood. You think that somehow, in order to be near to God, you've got to reach some degree of rightness before God in order to come to him. If there's anything you hear from me this morning, hear this. There's, there's no amount of days, and there's no amount of work that will ever make you right with God. Even your best day falls woefully short of the perfect standard of God. And that's the hope of the Christian. I I say it this way all the time, and I'll say it as long as the Lord gives me breath to preach, that you are not qualified to be a part of the family of God because of your best day. And you are not disqualified because of your worst day. Like you ride on the qualifications of Jesus. And when you stand before God, there will be no doubt why you belong there because I've trusted in Jesus Christ alone faith alone grace alone that's it and you can have new life today if you look to him by faith and if we've trusted in Jesus family we talked a lot about this through first peter is living like pilgrims who are holy in our life and As we study through the book of James and getting uppercuts every week from James and everything from our speech to how we deal with money and how we talk to one another and all these things, you're like, dang, James, just give me a break. Because it matters the way that we live. Like it matters the way the people of God live. The power of God is seen in so many different ways, but I would argue biblically one of the principal ways the power of God is seen in this age in the church is through you, through your life. My life as a resurrected person, walking around as a pilgrim in this world with a new identity, living by different rules, living for a different place that we can't see. The power of God needs to be visible in us. So some of what we have to do is perpetually put off the old us. We talked about like in baptism, like you die to the old way of life, and I've said it this way before, but those old clothes, of the old man, they're they're sticky. They want to cling to you because they still have a measure of comfort to them. They're familiar. But one of the places we see God's command as it relates to that old life is in Ephesians four twenty two through twenty four. Paul says, "Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness." And holiness, there's new life in Christ, and his people look new. A new life gives us new responsibility. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's so dramatic. It's a, it's a recreation of the human life. That's how significant the difference is that Jesus makes. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's a ministry, there's a message, and we are ultimately seeing verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. and We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We'll stop there just for a minute. We don't often probably use the word reconciliation a whole lot. Had a chance to do some street evangelism years ago uh, downtown. I remember one of the interactions I remember the most was we were doing a survey, and one of the things we would ask is, do you understand the central message of the Bible? And When someone said, said no, we had to be prepared to give some sort of answer. And so one of the things that I, I shared in those interactions was the word Reconciliation. There's a lot of ways you could maybe try to summarize the message of the Bible. But the way that came to mind in this momentary interaction is that the story of the Bible is a story of reconciliation. And what reconciliation assumes is that there's two parties that are apart, even hostile to one another. And there's something that needs to bring them back together. And the picture of the Bible is that you and I were created to worship God and to know him. But because of the rebellion of our original parents, like that, that sin was attributed to us and we inherited a nature that is bent to rebel against God. And because of that rebellion, the way the Bible describes our position before God is we are alienated from him. There's a chasm in between us and God. There's a fracture in our relationship with God. It enters in the story of reconciliation. After that original sin, the rest of the Bible is God's story, his whispers in the Old Testament becoming shouts when Jesus comes of a way in which he would reconcile people to himself, bring them back together with him to exchange hostility for harmony. And instead of aliens and strangers, we become a part of his family. And Paul is saying right here that in Jesus Christ, you have been, if you're a believer, you can be today reconciled to God. to God, Verse 18, all this is from God who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. It's not through any other person. There's only one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. And you can be reconciled. You can be part of his family by no work of your own. By a simple, profound emptying of yourself and looking to Jesus in faith. And church family, Christians in this room, it's notable in this text. what we see is like not only have we been reconciled, but now we're reconcilers. Like we, we have a ministry given to us. Like we have a, a ministry and a message of reconciling. This is so wild to think about this. God saves us, and then He gives us the message implanted in us, as it were, 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You may feel like an unprofessional ambassador. That's okay. But I don't want you to somehow breeze over like, this isn't for me, I'm just too much of a mess. If you know Jesus, you know enough. You have responsibility. Yeah, You need to work on growing in godliness. But God has given you a ministry. A ministry of reconciliation. He's given you a message, and a gospel message of reconciliation. He calls you to take it. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to believers, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's the picture. We have been sent to represent this country, this kingdom of God. We're sent out in the world to represent the king who reconciles people to himself. That's you. That's not just the pastors of the church. That's not just for the deacons. It's not for the ministry leaders. for every Christian on this planet. As long as we're here, God has given us a ministry, and central to that ministry is the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Find life in him. Believe in him today. Be reconciled to God through him. I've never gotten over this picture in verse 20. That we are ambassadors for Christ, so we're this unique sent group to represent God. That's what an ambassador means. And God himself makes an appeal Through his people. Just ponder that just for a moment. There's various ways that God has spoken throughout history. There's a particular moment where he spoke chiefly through his son coming into the world. And now he chiefly speaks through his people. The good news of the gospel. When was the last time he made his appeal through you? When was the last time I allowed God to make His appeal through me? I think we need to feel the weight of that. When was the last time that I spoke the words of the gospel to someone who needed to hear about the good news of Jesus? That's our call. That's our, that's our ministry. That's what we're called to do. We't as sweet as this is. this is just like the, the motivational moment to send us outward, right? We get grounded in the Word of God, and it's sweet and it's important. But our ministry is to one another, but it's outside these walls. I think of the the church in Albania. Just ponder this for a second. We have the church in Albania, Valour Church, which we'll share a video next week because we had a, a chance to contribute to the purchase of their building in Albania. I don't think I'm getting these numbers right, but Albania... Um, I think it's Vlor is the name of the city, has 200,000 people in it. So relatively comparable to Wilmington, three churches, three Protestant churches preaching the gospel. And Vlor Church is 80 people and considered a megachurch. Just wrap your head around that. It gives you some scope of how many people in this world don't know Jesus. And, yeah, we're in a different context in some ways, a little bit more dangerous context, because the lines are a lot more blurry here. Everybody knows the stories and can give you the answers, and it's difficult to know where people really stand with Christ, but we need to be urgent about taking the message to those around us. It's both a responsibility to Christ and our response to the work he's done for us, and our response is as if God making that appeal through us, you might note that our reaction to that appeal is we, we beg Second half of verse 20, we implore, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You sense, like, the urgency in that? Just please, please accept Jesus. Like, please run to him. He's where life is found. I'm guessing most of us, we probably have moments where we've kind of tasted that, that bite of urgency to give Jesus away to someone. Just please trust in him. Surrender to him. Be reconciled to God through him but this is an ongoing heartbeat or should be for believers. There's this appeal that God makes through us and our responses that we would just implore and beg people be reconciled to God through Christ. And I just wonder if we've ever felt that or how often we felt it. And one of the questions we I think we need to wrestle with, like through the course of our life, all of us, including me, is how many people in this life in in this world, are walking with Jesus because of us, because of our ministry and message given to them. Now, give me some grace on the terminology. No one comes to faith because of us, but you know what I mean. God does a supernatural work to save someone, but He does that through the preaching of the message. Look in Romans 10. How are they ever gonna know if someone isn't sent and preaches the message to them? That's the heart of missions. As Christians, were to spend our lives seeking to persuade others, appealing to others, begging them to be reconciled to God. And I'll close with this. Verse 21. Look there with me. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. for our sake Jesus became everything that's wrong about us. So if you think if you give yourself just a minute to think about all the wrong things that you've done, just a minute, it might start to discourage you and overwhelm you. What this verse says that Jesus willingly became everything that's wrong about us. Everything wrong we've ever done, Jesus became that. When he hung on the cross, like a certificate of our debt, he was nailed to the cross. The reason this is central to our worship is we look at it, as we gaze at the cross, as we look to the finished work of Jesus, the miracle is that you see in this passage is that one day, everything that was perfect about Jesus and his life will be credited to your account. He gets everything imperfect about us, and we get credited with everything perfect about him. That's amazing grace, isn't it? Somebody say amen in this place. It's an unbelievable exchange. Christ gets all our sin. We get all of his righteousness. He became all our imperfection, and by a gift of God's grace, we become his perfection. Family. There's so many people that need to know the hope of this message, that need to be freed from the treadmill of performance. If you're in this room this morning, I'm so grateful that you're here. And I pray that the one thing that you leave hearing is that you can find life in Jesus' name, freedom in his name. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ alone, through faith in his name and his finished work and in nothing else. May today be the day of salvation. Amen. Let's pray. We'll sing one last song. Invite the worship team back up. Glory to your name. Glory be to your name, God. Salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus, Father. We we marvel and we thank you that you were pleased to crush your own Son, so that through His sacrifice we might be forgiven. Jesus, I think about your words to your disciples after you were resurrected when they they wanted to know if the kingdom was coming at that moment and your your response to them is like, that's not for you to know. But this thing, you wanted them to know and that we should know too. That we will be your witnesses throughout the world. And the Spirit will give us power to, to fulfill the mission that you've given us. Would you remind us in the throes and the busyness of life and the battle with our own sin, would you remind us of of the fact that we belong to you and that we have a responsibility in this life that you're making your appeal through your church, through your people, that men and women and children would be reconciled to you. God, we want to see the waters of baptism stirred perpetually. We want to see people from our neighborhood come to know you. We want to know what it looks like to try to engage the context that you put us in. We want to, I pray more and more, we would want to know our neighbors around us, that we move toward them with a sense of urgency and compassion and love and intentionality and all these things, God, we need your help with. Thank you for saving us by no work of our own. Thank you for the security and joy that we have through Jesus Christ alone this morning. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Blessed be your name, God. There is no one like you. Blessed are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor, dominion, authority, and power forever. We love you. We thank you that we're forgiven through Christ. And I pray that we give our final breaths in this room to praise you as we sing this last song. Help us sing as if you're worth every bit of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand and sing.